0: Well, it's a real honor for me to be here, and I appreciate the invitation of the elders and of the Doug to have this time to get to know you and meet you and, and bring uh, J.R. with me, and I'm glad, especially my daughter just drove in from Texas about two hours ago and with her grandsons, and so I'm delighted that they're here. We generally at our house in July have all four grandsons. I would have had the other two with me, but they're, I have to split time with them, with their other grandparents in Birmingham, so... That's what happens, and so they'll be here, though, tomorrow night, and then we'll have them the rest of the month. And we do Camp Cousins together, and so we're looking forward to that. The boys always look forward to that opportunity. I'm thankful for getting to know you and to have this opportunity to speak about honoring your father and your mother. And especially speaking from the point of view of the Ten Commandments and of that direction from the scriptures. I noticed when we come in on 85, I think it's on the Eastern Bypass, that exit there, it says we treat you just like we treat our mother. I have to confess to you, I've heard a lot of kids, how they treat their mothers, and I don't want to be treated that way. Uh, it's, we live in a world in which everybody thinks they're entitled to everything and have a right to do certain things and be a certain way and just excuse it as if it's Okay. But there's a reason God puts this command in here to honor our father and mother. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, I think we generally think of them as two tables of stone from the standpoint, that's what the text says, and that on the first table are the things pertaining to God, and then on the second one are the things uh, pertaining to our social relationships, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, and so on and so forth. Uh but really, I think there's a better way of looking at the Ten Commandments than that. I think the first three, I think God has a priority for a well-ordered life. If you want to live a well-ordered life, you want to live a life that's going to be fulfilled, you want to live a life that's going to be uh, be able to deal with circumstances that sometimes happen and challenges in life, then order your life as God has the Ten Commandments. Put God first, always. He There's a unique loyalty that we owe to Him above everything else. We worship him according to his directions, and we also uh, honor the things that belong to God. We honor the Sabbath in, in the sense that Jesus is our Sabbath, Hebrews 4 and verse 3. But then he says, honor your father and your mother. And I think that's the order, is God and then your family and then society. And that's how we deal with God's commandments. And I think that's the order God wants. That is precisely the reason that he put them this way. And I remind you that it is God that spoke these words in Exodus, the 20th chapter. And God spoke all these words. And so this is direction coming from God himself. And God spoke, he said in Exodus 19, in such a way that when the people hear when I speak with you, they may also believe you forever. And so God was speaking in a way that people could understand, that people could listen and hear, and make perfect sense of what He's saying. And so when we think about the law as an expression of God's character and His nature, because that's what law is—law is is that is God's law—is an expression of His character and nature. Do you ever notice that when Paul talks about it in Romans the seventh chapter, verses twelve and verse fourteen, he talks about the law being holy and good and righteous and spiritual? He's talking about the Ten Commandment law. He's talking about the law of God. That because why, why does he speak of it that way? Because it reflects the character of God. It is holy. It is righteous. It is good. And it is spiritual. God is a spirit. And so the, the law that God gives us is a reflection of his character. And the reason that he speaks it the way that he speaks it is because we're created in his image. And he wants us to reflect that same image of being holy, righteous, good, and spiritual. And so if you want to have a well-ordered life, then this is what you do. And I think that's what he's telling us. I know sometimes when we talk about the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure that we uh, were kind of like that uh, captain that was on a big Navy vessel going at sea. And in the kind of foggy night, he saw the lights of what he thought was an oncoming ship. And he he hollered at the signalman to go up and signal him to tell him to move his Uh, course 10 degrees to the uh, east. The signalman went up there and he signaled him and told him to move his course 10 degrees to the east. So when he came back down, the captain said he hasn't moved. He said, well, I'll tell you, you need to move your course 10 degrees to the west. So he said, you go back there and tell him I'm a captain and I'm ordering him to move his vessel 10 degrees to the south. So he went up there and he did that and he came back down. The captain said he hadn't moved. He said, Well, he said to tell you he's a seaman first class and you still need to move your uh, course 10 degrees to the uh, west. Well, he's upset by now. He said, You go up there and tell him that I am a captain of a naval destroyer and it's not going to be good if he doesn't move his course 10 degrees to the west. Or to the east. And so he went back up there and he told the guy. Came back downstairs and moved and he said, well, what did he say? He said "I." He said to tell you that he is sure it was not going to be good, but he's still a seaman first class and he's in the lighthouse and you still need to move your course 10 degrees to the west. Sometimes we don't know what we're up against when we think about God's law and talk about how God has commissioned us as his people to live out and to express those things. But you know, the fact is we're made in the image of God, and God intended us to reflect His will and His character. And we make a grave mistake with the Old Testament book of the law. When we think of the Old Testament as just a book of laws, and the book of the New Testament is just a book of grace. You know, we have just one Bible. And it is important that we learn to trace the great biblical truths and principles right through the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. In Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, when he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers when I led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. But he said, I'll write my laws in their heart, and I will forgive their iniquities and so forth. I'm just paraphrasing there. But but the promise of of a new law, of a new covenant that was coming, and that was a covenant that was going to be in Jesus Christ. And that is a covenant that was based on the forgiveness of our sins. When Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, Think not that I've come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled the old commandments, the Ten Commandments law. Everything about the Ten Commandments was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the problem with the Old Testament was that there was no means of forgiveness under the Old Testament. I mean, the sacrificial system was only a temporary system, and it was anticipating Christ coming. But there was, it was just a shadow, as the Hebrew writer would say, of the things to come. And so as a result of that, uh, God says in Romans the 8th chapter, when he says, there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And then what he says is, for what the law could not do, in that it was weakness in flesh, that is because they sinned and there was no forgiveness under, Christ came. And what the law could not do, he did for us. And then listen to what he says in verse 4 of Romans 8. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. You know, God still wants us to live out the Ten Commandments, but not because they're under the Old Covenant, but because Jesus made it possible that we could live those commandments in fulfillment and through the forgiveness of our sins. Somebody said, Well, we don't keep the Sabbath. Well, that's true. And I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm getting my lesson, but there's a reason I'm telling you all this. <laughs> When you look at the Sabbath, and I don't think anybody spoke on the Sabbath, did they? I hope not. I'm not trying to step on anybody's material here. But, but there's a reason that Jesus is our Sabbath, our rest. You know, there's two reasons the Sabbath was given. In Exodus 20, when he gives it to, to the children of Israel, there before uh, the second generation, he tells them that you, you observe the Sabbath because God rested. In other words, you recognize who your creator is. That's the point of the Sabbath. The things that belong to God because God rested. And then when he tells them in Deuteronomy 5 to keep the Sabbath, not only does He tell Moses tell them to keep it because of the, God is a creator, but he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and this is for our covenant. So there are two things that were associated with the Sabbath. One was rest and one was deliverance. God delivered them from the house of bondage. The reason Jesus is the fulfillment of our Sabbath is because, what does he say? Come unto me all you that labor and the heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's our rest. He's our Sabbath. Now, if you look at all the parables, of Je- all the healings that Jesus did on the Sabbath, the reason for that is, is because everybody that he healed was being delivered, was being loosed from something. Luke 13, makes that in that particular healing, makes that really clear. Now, the point I'm making about all this rest and deliverance is this. When you go to the Old Testament, one of the things that we read in the book of Ruth, and you remember the story of Ruth, when Naomi was telling Ruth about Boaz, and she had worked in the field and said, I worked in the field with this man named Boaz, and Ruth says, well, he's an ear kinsman, and he said, I need to find rest for you. The word rest there is in reference to her getting buried again. And so the home was to be a place of rest. And the only way that could be possible is if it is a well-ordered life and marriage and home. And that's why God says, honor your father and your mother. If you want a restful home, a place where there's peace and rest, then have children honor their parents. But it's more than just that. I mean, when we think about Uh, the Old Testament being replete time and time again with dysfunctional families and the effects of sin on the family from the very beginning has been almost torturous to watch and to listen and to read about. I mean, I think in some ways, uh, and I don't care how ideal we may think that our families are, on some level, all families are dysfunctional. On some level. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're evil. That's not what that means. It just means that we're striving to live out these, these challenges that we have. And it's not an excuse for doing wrong or to practice wrong things in your family. It's just the reality of the human predicament that Satan is on a mission to disrupt the divine order of things and create confusion, strife, and danger. And where else is it better to start? than with the building block of society, than the whole. So when he says the significance and the importance of this command to honor your father and mother, the significance of that command is in the fact that while it may be hugely uh, demanding and in some ways it's very tantalizingly uh, vague, but let me say this to you up front. There is no better way to fulfill this command, to honor your father and mother, than in word and in thought and in deed. I cringe when sometimes I hear the way children are loud, as I said a moment ago, to talk with their parents. And I, I will tell you this, I don't only mean small children, I mean adult children. Do, do you not think about the fact that, as I said a moment ago, if you will stop and think, but here God has given us these commands to, to honor Him, the first, and then says, honor your family, your, your parents. I mean, right next to God is your family or your parents, and I think there's a reason for that. Honor father and mother is a command that Christians must own. They must just live this command. And there is no caveat given in the command to honor your parents, to honor your father and mother. There's no excuse. There's no excusable permissible ground that we can occupy that would allow us to dishonor our parents. I realize the complexities of relationships and their challenges. I mean, I get all that. And, 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 and if you're sitting here and you say to me, well, you, you just don't know how abusive and how neglectful And how mean my parents were. I will just have to say, you're right, I don't, because I wasn't raised with my parents like that. But, the truth is, you still must honor your father and mother. There's no caveat given for it. There's no exception. There's no exclusion to that. I'm not saying it's easy. All of us face different challenges in serving God in some way or another. That may not be a challenge for me to honor my parents. They're both gone. They were both faithful Christians. I'm thankful to have been their son. I'm thankful for the parents that I had. I mean, I don't know that I would have learned the truth had they not known the truth and taught me. I don't know if I was of a disposition. I, I don't, you just don't know. But I'm thankful for them. And I try to honor them even now when they're gone in my memories of them. But I will tell you this. I will remember a conversation I had with my dad. And it went something along this line. He said, you know, when you get married and you have kids, you're going to learn from the mistakes that I made. But I will tell you that you have it now better than I had it or your mother had it as we raised you. And hopefully your children will have it better than you did. And their children will have it better than they did. That's just the nature of being good parents and observing and honoring your parents. We have no possible expectation. Remember what I said about how close these commands are to God and then from the family? We we can have no expectation of our children loving and serving God if they first don't honor His representatives on earth who are parents. I mean, if they do, it will be in spite of us. But if they don't learn to honor their parents, why would they honor God? Let me give you just a biblical illustration of that point. One of the saddest lessons or verses to me in all the Bible is coming at the end of Jacob's life. Remember Jacob. He's the one who deceived his brother. You know, brothers do a lot of things to each other. they'll, They'll take advantage of each other. All the time they do that. But now they don't want anybody else taking advantage of them. But they will take advantage of each other. So I kind of get that he he took advantage of. Jacob's a rascal in the beginning. He's not somebody you want your daughters to bring home and and meet or date. I can just tell you. And he's not somebody you want your boys to hang out with. But God sees something in him that we don't see. That's one of the amazing things of his story. But the thing that I could never that just really is hard for me to deal with when with Jacob is the fact that he would deceive his father. I just what kind of person does that? I know he had the backing of his mother and she is just as bad as he was for having suggested it. But he should have stood up for what he knew was right at the time to do when he said, you know, my father will think I'm mocking him. You did mock him when you cheated him. That's what he said to Rebecca. He said, well, I I don't want him to think I'm mocking him. Well, you are mocking him when you go and and lie to him and cheat and deceive like you did. But at the end of his life, you remember Joseph is sold into slavery, becomes head over Egypt and all that sort of thing, and he's mourned all of that. He's had these terrible, dysfunctional families with his wife. What a horrible mess. Just a horrible mess. And finally, when he's reunited with Joseph, and Pharaoh says, Bring him, bring your family back to Egypt, we'll take care of them, and gives them the land of Goshen, and does all that. In Genesis 49, 47, rather, when when Jacob brings him in to meet, when Joseph brings Jacob in to meet the Pharaoh, I think this is one of the saddest verses in, in so many ways. It's in Genesis 47 and verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? He's, what he's what Pharaoh is asking him is, How's your life been? How's it, how's it going for you? Has it been a good life? I'm sure it's been good. You've got a wonderful son here. And that, that's sort of the implication. But here are some of the saddest words you'll ever read in the Bible. In verse Nine, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. I'm telling you, he lived his life massively on the hill of regret for what he had done to his parents and his dad. You think he lived 130 years. You think, well, that's a long life. No, that's a long life. And you think, you know, he's had a good life. He's in his right mind. He can talk. He can communicate here. He's having this conversation with the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he said, few and evil have been the days of my life. He exceeded his father in his riches. He had a bigger family than his father Isaac ever had. He had more land and wealth than a man could imagine. He exceeded Abraham probably in a lot of ways in that regard. And yet he says, I have not attained unto my fathers. Why do you think that is? I'm telling you. He's having to live with the memory of how he dishonored his dad. That's a painful memory. It's a heart-wrenching memory. And he got paid back in a lot of different ways for that with his own children. He understood that. And so what I'm saying to you is that when we honor our father and mother, God gave the command to honor our father and mother. He didn't command it because of what our parents had done for us. Some believe we honor our parents uh, to provide compensation for their years of feeding and clothing us. And therefore the honor due to them is commensurate or proportionate to the care that they provided for me. I'm not saying that's all wrong. But what I'm saying, what I'm arguing is that's not the primary reason. The primary reason that we are to honor our father and mother is because you're sitting right here. You're alive. They gave you life. You're now serving God. Had they never given you life, you could have never served God. Honor them. I don't care how they've treated you or abused you or misused you. So learn to honor them the best way that you can. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'll have some things to say in just a moment about all that. But think about this also. When we read in Exodus 20 that God gave this commandment to the children of Israel, these Ten Commandments, when he gave those Ten Commandments to him, just exactly who was he giving them to? Have you ever thought about this? He was giving them to people who for, in especially in Deuteronomy 5 is where I'm talking about now, this wilderness uh, generation that had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and so forth. And uh, you, you, you know who they are? They are people that, that their parents provided them absolutely nothing for food and did not give them one stitch of clothes. You remember? It's God that provided the manna and the quail. It's God who provided them clothes that never wore out. It is God. So God is telling them to honor their parents. Not because they provided for them, but because they gave them life. Even Jesus had something to say about Mark 7, verses 1 through 12, which we don't have the time to read. But in verses 6 through 12 of Mark 7, here's something in that that is important for us to consider. Mark, the 7th chapter, verses 6 through 12. He said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, that is, worthlessly, Do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men? You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. In other words, he said, you have a beautiful way of being a hypocrite. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you would do. And Jesus' point in this text is, nowhere does any command, much less expectation of our God, authorize or permit a dishonoring of our parents. Furthermore, proper honor that's due to God is, uh, that's due to God never detracts from the honor that is due our parents, nor does the honoring that is due our parents ever detract from the honor that is due God. To the contrary, God is glorified when we properly honor our parents, and our parents are properly honored when we seek to glorify God. Again, no duty that's owed to God or no duty owed God ever makes it right to not honor our parents, and no duty owed our parents ever makes it right to dishonor God. It is the first command with promise, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6. And that indicates the premium that God placed upon the command. This command is placed immediately after the commands demanding a unique loyalty to God, and just prior to our obligations to mankind i tell you, that works both ways. If we don't teach our children to honor us as parents, and if we as children don't honor our parents, it will come back to haunt us. It generally will go in cycles because if we don't honor our parents, the chances of our children honoring us when we get old are very unlikely. So being the first commandment with promise, the the idea that God puts a premium on this command, and that if, if we're not going to treat God right, because we didn't treat our parents right, we're not going to treat the world right. It makes this command very significant in its placement. That it's between God and the world. That we cannot honor God if we don't honor our parents, and we're not going to respect social relationship if we don't honor our parents. So I think there's an importance to this command that we need to address as we think about our life and our relationship to God, and so when we think that parents and God are, are God's representatives and are tasked with the responsibility of bringing children uh, up in their nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, we have very little, as I said a moment ago, if any chance to teach and raise our children To be good citizens in the kingdom of God, much less in the world, if we don't teach them to honor us as parents. And we cannot teach them to do so if we are not going to be honorable ourselves. To be honored, we must be honorable. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to have my parents live with us. They were living with us when when they passed away. I am so thankful for having had that opportunity for my children to get to know them and to be a part of their lives and and so forth. And they were in their teenagers; they were teenagers when when my parents died, so there's great memories that they have of them. But honoring my parents, I just—I mean, this is just something I wanted to do. And it's hard for me sometimes to understand why people don't. Though I, on the one hand, I do understand the complexities and the challenges where there has been abuse and emotional uh, things that have happened. Yes, I understand that part. But I'll I'll talk about that just one second as as I'm closing this up. But godliness always begins in the home. And if we're not godly toward our parents, we're not going to be godly much anywhere else. And as we get older, We are to honor our parents. You know, 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, is where the Apostle Paul reminds us that godliness begins in the home. He said in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 3, he said, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Where do you learn godliness? You learn it in the home. How? By honoring your parents. He said, she who is truly a widow uh, left alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things well, as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, He is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so I think all of us will agree, and I know we have some challenges when it comes to the church on this issue, but I think it's a matter of local autonomy. But I will say we all agree on the fact that all of us have a responsibility first to take care of our parents, and, and we agree on that. And so when we think about the importance of who we are and as God's people in settling ourselves upon doing what God said, then godliness always begins in the home. And I don't know of a time in my life, uh, and by the way, I mean, I, I am celebrating 39 years of marriage. I got married when I was 12. So, not really, but 39 years seems like a long time. But I know some of you are sitting out here thinking, you don't have a clue. That's true. I remember one time I was preaching in Fort Worth and living in Texas and preaching in Fort Worth and an older fellow that I'd known a long time came in, he and his wife, and I said, what are you all doing here? And he said, oh, we're celebrating 50 years, our 50th anniversary. a young guy, young married, hadn't been married maybe a year, walked by and heard 50 years, and he turned and he stopped his track and he said, 50 years, wow. And that old man looked at him and said, son, it'll be on you before you know it. And that is true. And so when we think about marriage and the importance of it and how God intended for us to live, uh, then, as I said, we'll start to say, we're living in a time where I don't know of anything that is more needed in our society than godly homes. Somebody once wrote that by their gracious influence, more souls are won to Christ by godly homes than anything else. And I think that there may be some real truth to that. Uh, listen, we, we are living in a time when God is being humanized and man is being deified. Genders are being neutralized or worse. Marriage, as God intended, between a man and a woman is being ostracized in favor of unnatural affections. Children, which God intended to be the glory of their father and mother, uh, are being discarded every second of the day, seemingly. They're being brutalized, victimized, and cast aside. The family is being trivialized. Fathers are being demonized. Mothers are being marginalized. And the roles have been disenfranchised. And God's order is being hijacked and vandalized by a world that is hostile to everything that God is. When God looked down from Mount Sinai and gave these commandments to honor father and mother, He was speaking for our good always, Moses said in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24. These statutes and these commandments which God commands us this day, he spoke for our good always, he said. When you look at the children of Israel being carried off into Babylonian captivity, one of the reasons they were carried off into Babylonian captivity was because of the fact that they did not honor their father and mother, is what the book of Ezekiel tells us. So when we think about all of these things, it is true that there are many challenges sometimes to honoring our parents. And some parents have acted miserably, abusing and abandoning their families. Honoring them seems an almost impossible task because they are so undeserving. Yes, they are obstacles. And there are obstacles to face in honoring our parents, but God still commands it and still wills it. He never expects us to imitate ungodly behavior. Divorce. We never think about the the irreparable harm that is done in divorce. And it's no wonder that God hates it. Because in part, parents, when they divorce, are forcing a child to honor one parent over the other. But the command is to honor mother and father, regardless of who is at fault for the divorce. We could talk about Jesus and his life under the law and how he lived it, but I will say this. We have three wonderful examples from Jesus' life. At an early age, when his parents did not understand him and found him in the temple, and they said, Don't you know we've been worried about you? And Jesus said, Don't you know that I should have been about my father's business? And they didn't get him. They didn't understand him. But what the text says is he nevertheless went down and was subject to him all the days, all his days. He was still subject to his parents, even though they didn't understand him. Your parents aren't always going to understand you. They try. and They think they know, but they don't always understand you. But the one thing you can always do, and that is you can always be in subjection to them. The second thing I would tell you is, there's another change in, in John 2. When Jesus was changing the water into wine, you remember that story in, when, in the first miracle? And his mother came to him and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus says to him, look, my time is not yet woman and, and he's using that in a very respectful term that's a very respectful term of the day to say ma'am th- this is not this isn't the time for all this she recognizes a little bit more than she did when he was 12 years old now at 30 when he's out here that he can do things and, and and something but he he's saying to her this isn't right this isn't the time and so even when but you know at the end of the you know what the end of the story is he did just what she said he honored his mother He did what she asked him to do. And then from the cross, you know, he looked down and saw his mother and said to his beloved John, Behold thy mother. So even in death, he was honoring his mother. He was looking out for her. I don't think we ever outgrow a point in which we're not to honor our parents, even to death. And I say even after they die, we still must honor them. And so when we think about all of these things, let me just close quickly with some things to think about. Well, we can honor our parents who are absentee, abusive, or other than godly parents. And this also applies to honoring godly parents as well. And this is mainly as we get older because this is where the conflict generally arises as we try to deal with our own lives and we've had a terrible past with our parents. But number one, you need to pray for them. You need to pray for them. You know, the greatest challenge to our faith is not believing that God can do great things in the future. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about a resurrection and the, and the graves opening up and Jesus. We can talk about all that, and, and, and that's not a problem for us to believe in all that. What, what we are really challenged by is believing that God can do great things in our lives right here, right now. And that's why we need to pray for our parents. We need to pray for them. And then we need to keep on trying to help them, even though they may be difficult at times. we need to model Jesus for them in every way that you speak to them in every way that you think about them and that you act toward them. We need to exercise restraint in front of them. I, I tell you the, the roughest days in my parents and it didn't happen very often but I would get frustrated with my dad and then I would just just to weep, knowing that he was getting older and he was dying. And it didn't happen very often, but I would talk to him. And he would say, I know it's hard. He was so understanding. So, <clears throat> exercise restraint in front of them, learn to control your tongue and your temper. And just because they're close to you doesn't give you the right to talk to them in a way you wouldn't talk to your employer or employee at work, if you wanted to keep your job. And I'll tell you what else you do for them. As I said just a moment ago, you weep for them before the throne of Almighty God. You pour out your heart to God on their behalf. And you tell Him how it's hurting you. God wants to know that. And God will empower you to deal with it. But you have to trust in Him. And just pour your heart out. I can't imagine, I cannot imagine living in an abusive relationship. I've not been there. My parents were not that way. They taught me to love God. They taught me to love his people. And so I, it's hard, but I know that when I've had to deal with people that are difficult to deal with in the church, and, you know, there's one or two of them, uh, I've had to cry and bring it before the throne of God. And then the last thing is forgive them. And the Lord can help you do that. Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. And I don't know of anybody whose heart is any more broken than a child that's been abused by a parent. And Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. He can do that. But you're going to have to trust Him. And so, my admonition to this class is just simply to say, may we seek to glorify God in our every thought, action, Indeed, in honoring our parents. Uh, we are so undeserving of His love, and He makes no demands on us that are not for our good always. Uh, to become what He wants us to become is in every way glorifying Him. And so to honor our parents, there's no better way to glorify God than that. And I think my time is up. Well, I did pretty good, 710. Thank you for listening.